0: Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. You're in for a treat. Carolyn Shadle was the best guest again, as she was before. We talked about post-COVID interpersonal conversations, because she is the Interpersonal Conversation Services Incorporated guru. She's been speaking all over the country virtually. We talk about oxytocin and how having a pet releases that in us. We talk about bystander discussions and how words matter and language matters. And finally, we talk about how to make sure coming out of this pandemic we keep our pets with us. So let's go see what Carolyn has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and welcome back to Why Do Pets Matter. I'm so glad you're here, and believe me, we have one of our wonderful guests coming back for a repeat because Carolyn Shadle is the person for interpersonal communication, and don't we need that right now? Um, we've been living in the bubbles for a year, uh, and looking at what we're doing right now, with respect to all the animals that we have in our lives and how people are communicating about those animals. Carolyn and I just finished up a conversation offline, which we're going to now bring to you because it was such a wonderful conversation on how interpersonal communication will help people find a way to either keep the pets with them um, or find a new place for them if that's better for them. So Carolyn is the Interpersonal Communication Services Incorporated Guru. She -hmm. speaks internationally. She and I are just really great friends because speaking the right words are what both of us do uh, or teach people to do or help people to do when difficulties arise and you lose the ability to answer in a way that is not reactive and not defensive. So Carolyn and I help professionals in every sphere, but mostly in veterinary medicine now for me and, and pet owners. And Carolyn is the walking, talking, um, interpersonal skill person for veterinarians in this world. Um, mm-hmm. So, Carolyn, thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad you're here again. Yes, it's a pleasure to be back with you. I always love talking to you. I know with we you. we had such a great conversation um, about, you know, what people are saying Regarding the emptying of the shelters, so tell the audience a little bit about what you said to me because it really was eye-opening for me.
1: Well, you know the shelters tell us that they're running out of animals because people are lonely, and there's nothing better than for you when you're alone than having a pet. Um, and but I worry about what's going to happen when everybody goes back to work and they don't need that pet for their there's their comfort anymore that they think they think they They think they They think think they don't need that pet. pet. Right. I miss that pet. But um, one of the things that talking to veterinarians comes to mind is the fact that if if they had the information that the Human Animal Bond Institute is making available and they've got a huge library of all the research that's been done and is going on around human animal bonding and and how pets impact one's comfort level, loneliness, health, cardiovascular. You know, it's just amazing what what they've uncovered. And if pet owners knew that, I think they would feel that much more motivated to continue to go back to their vet on a a regular basis for for healthcare preventative. Uh, They would think about um, good food for their pet. They'd think about the right exercise, the right play. They would think about um, maybe pet insurance or maybe looking for a pet wellness plan that would give them some some security and some regularity with their vet. So I would like pet vets, the clinics, to really get in touch with the Human-Animal Bond Institute and understand that research because it's fabulous. Do I have time to tell you about oxytocin? Oh, I want you to, because oxytocin
0: was the thing we were chatting about and John was singing about, because it is such an important piece
1: of animal ownership. Oh, we have just become so fascinated with the research, and that came out of the Human Animal Bond Research Institute. In 1902, it was discovered that oxytocin is what um, impacts the birth of the baby and the contraction of the uterus. Well, it took 50 years later before they discovered that it's breastfeeding that releases that oxytocin. And I guess, you know, mothers know that something's happening and something's releasing the the breast milk, uh, but it's oxytocin. That's what they discovered. And then they discovered that it's not only uh, the breast milk that's being released and the uterus is being contracted, but that oxytocin is what creates that bond between mother and baby. And anybody who's given birth understands there's something strange that bond that you never thought you were going to have is created. Well, that's oxytocin. But then what they found out later is that they can create intranasal oxytocin. And if you take intranasal oxytocin, they find the people's attitudes are calmer. They feel more comfortable with people. They feel more empathetic. They feel more trusting. And in fact, I have a friend whose daughter had broken up in a, a love relationship and she was very stressed. And her, do- her doctor prescribed the intranasal oxytocin, which I thought was it's, just, it's amazing. But when they discovered this oxytocin, that's when they started to do research on not only the bond between mother and baby, but the bond between pet owner and pet. Right, and, right. Uh, I forget her name, Olmert, Ul- I think is the name of the author. She wrote a book called Made for Each Other with a lot of stories there about how research has uncovered the animal bond. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. And pet owners know this intuitively. Um, that's why they come to you about squabbles because they don't want to le- let their pet go to a divorcee or, or they don't want to le- lose yeah, their pet. Unfortunately, your pet doesn't hate your ex. You wish it would. Yeah, yeah there you go. So both, both in the party, both parties are attached. They've got that human animal bond and it's a tough one. But I think going back to the pandemic, uh, when people go back to work, they're going to miss their dog or their cat and so now they have to figure out how are they are gonna provide for that cat? And the more they understand how much the cat has done for them health-wise, the more motivated they will be to find somebody to take care of their pet, to make sure that, well, I think you know one of the things you've suggested is go to the local high school and find somebody who wants to walk the dog. Um, find some neighbors who would like to take care of the, the pet part of the day if you have to be away. I mean, there's innovative ways that I think you've been particularly helpful in helping people discover, but they don't want to give up their pet. And certainly the the shelters don't want them back. They want the pet to be in a, in a loving home. So the pandemic's raised a lot of opportunities for people to connect with pets. The post-pandemic, when when and if we ever get to that point, it's going to raise another level of of concerns and opportunities, I hope. I hope too, and I love when you said that people
0: don't really recognize that the benefits of having the pet far outweigh um, the annoyances of having a pet, that you have to take them out, or you have to clean the litter box, or you have to put fresh water and fresh paper in the bird cage, or whatever it is. The annoyances of having a pet are far outweighed by their ability to keep you getting up out of bed in the morning. I think that people during COVID, if they didn't have pets, um, depression is hugely on the rise. I'm worried that after the pandemic is done, we're going to have another pandemic that will be mental illness because of being locked up, not being able to see people. In my office, so many relationships broke up. Um, that's why I'm seeing them about sharing the pet because you know they really can't see each other, but they still love the pet because they recognized, as you beautifully put, the pet helped them through the pandemic, and now they can't even fathom not seeing the pet again or having to share the pet. I really just want the pet, uh, especially I have
1: if one want... who's working at home and her husband was not working at home, but he was a healthcare provider and he's working very long hours. So he really wasn't home a lot. So she was home alone and she got very depressed. So one day he brought home a shelter dog for her. She said, oh no, I'm not a vet. I can't take care of this. What am I going to do? I don't, I don't know nothing about dogs. Well, it didn't take very long with because she was bonded with that dog. And now she's facing with Oh, what am I going to do when I go back to work? Because I can't leave this dog. I, we're, we're, we're wedded. So, um, yeah. People those- will change their job descriptions. People will change the way they do
0: work. They'll They'll work out something with their office where they may go in twice a week instead of five times a week so that they can be home with the dogs. And like you said, there are always little cottage industries nearby that will help facilitate the walking of the dog during the day or some piece of that dog or cat um, need during the day. It's interesting you brought that up because pre-pandemic, I actually had a puppy go to a couple who the husband was suffering with stage four pancreatic cancer. And I don't know what made me think that it was a good idea to um, allow them just to have the dog on a temporary basis to see if it would work out because she was really at her wits end as well, like your friend. And the gentleman lived seven years with stage four pancreatic cancer. And I'm firmly convinced it was because they changed the conversation (laughs) in the room. They didn't talk about pancreatic cancer. They talked about whether or not Mary was A good girl and didn't pee in the house that day or was a naughty girl and peed in the house that day they had a different conversation so i think for all of us who lived through the pandemic um, getting a shelter dog who's older getting a puppy if you were lucky enough to find one uh, yeah it was trying and a few of the legs of your table might be newly chewed, you might have lost a pair of Le Boutelier shoes, or however you say that name with the red bottom. However, this this dog is going to help you not only survive the pandemic, but survive what's going to go on post-pandemic.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, you know that the uh, your comment about the man with the cancer, um, the research would show it was not just the conversation had changed, but the oxytocin was there. Yeah. yeah. Um, this back in 1976, there was a very interesting study of, a, of, a, of 92 patients who were in their terminal years. And the majority, I forget the statistics, but the majority of those who lived after one year uh, were those who had pets. And so they just assumed it was because they were walking their dog and they were getting more exercise, but they redid the numbers excluded those with dogs, and found that these statistics were the same. That was when they determined it was just petting the dog, was having the dog there, oxytocin probably, they didn't talk about that in in those days, but um, you know, the pet makes a difference. Um, In fact, one of the interesting researches, there was a body of research about how, um, not only does the presence of a a pet uh, impact loneliness, but especially for seniors who are lonely there's a high degree of loneliness and oh, yeah. depression. And, and what they found in the study was that 72% said they would not move to a senior community unless they could take their dog. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's- I, I'm one of those.
0: I, I will not move to a, any senior community. I wouldn't, I wouldn't move to a, a homeowner's association that had any limitations on dogs. So I own my own house in a homeowners association, but I made sure that whatever one I had had no restrictions for dogs.
1: Well, and that's a good point because there's more and more understanding that these restrictions don't make sense and they're not necessary. Apartments are now more and more open to uh, pet ownership. Um, airlines are they're defining the, um,
0: their conditions. Emotional support animal much more narrowly and rightfully so because service animals and emotional support animals are not the same. Oh, um, it's 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 absolutely incredible um, to me that that people who have pets uh, would would live a life without them. I loved when you said you know older people really want to have their pets with them. I know a number of people in their 60s like me, 70s or 80s, when their pet passes away, they go, well, um, I don't want to get another one because I might not outlive it. And I hope that never, that thought never crosses my mind.
1: I had a neighbor who's 85 and her 15-year-old cat died. And she thought, now I can't live without a cat. So she was ready to go back and get a, a little kitten. And then she realized "Oh, she probably won't outlive the kitten. So she settled for an older cat, and now she's just delighted because the the older cat is not so rambunctious, is is well trained. Um, just as much of a lap cat as as the kitten might have been. So it's so much
0: more grateful than the kitten because they went from probably the lap of luxury and maybe their owner passed away. And there they were, a nine or 10-year-old cat. And who wants that nine or 10-year-old cat? Uh, I always think that shelters should always um, sort of uh, go visit uh, little, you know, nice little areas where people live where they can have 20 pound pets um, with older cats because they're, you know, yeah. washing where, yes, maybe they'll need more medical attention um, and you might be on a fixed budget. But quite frankly, it's it, it, as you said at the beginning, the benefits of having an animal in your life far outweigh the expenses of what it might cost um, to to keep them alive. And and. Oh, I-
1: I wish I could quote statistics, but H-A-B-R-I, uh, Human Animal Bari, Bari. Yep. Mm-hmm. Aubrey, has Aubrey. some wonderful research done on what the medical costs are, decreased medical costs are for pet owners. And they've, they've statistically shown that the number of doctor visits are reduced and therefore the cost is reduced. So there's a huge saving. I mean, it, it boils into the millions and millions for pet yeah. owners that are saving their, their med- medical costs. So there you are in dollars and cents. Because all
0: of the healing oxytocins that are released when you're <laughs> sitting on the couch and the cat sits on your lap and you're petting it, or you're out walking the dog. I mean, there are so many different ways to really take very good care of yourself. I know that that for me, walking the dogs every day, now it's up to three times a day. I'm sort of, I'm sort of addicted. It's like my crack cocaine. I go for a walk. Um, it really has made a big difference. I wish I could say that it made me skinny. Uh, it did not, but it-, it To live a long time. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, It's so interesting. So, tell me a little bit more about what you're doing now with interpersonal communication services now that we're in COVID. Have you been able to really get out there and help people communicate? Because now that we're on Zoom, learning how to communicate on Zoom is huge.
1: Well, we've done a lot of video um, communication, Uh, most of the conferences have gone to virtual. And that's been great fun. We've learned new platforms. We've learned how to interact differently across the virtual world. Um, and um, one of the things that we've had to think about is not only our own communication across the virtual world, but veterinarians and pen owners. Uh, the because of the curbside, yep. curbside. Well, not on curbside, but telehealth and telemedicine. That has just boomed. And what used to be sort of a nice-to-have for veterinarians, now they're realizing if they want to keep up with the competition or they want to keep safe, they've really got to move to telehealth. and It's a learning curve, um, but the the telehealth providers are really helpful in helping people understand. Oh, and I should mention the new Veterinary Virtual Care Association, bbca.org. It just started last year. It's a great way to connect with providers uh users, doubters, <laughs> questioners. It's like um, Dr Google for the veterinary world yes, right and if you if you want to explore telehealth, which both pet owners and and provide, and the vets need to do um, when i I talked to a vet the other day who is not d- using telehealth, and I thought. I don't quite understand why they're a very progressive clinic. They they're up to date on everything, and I thought well, probably it's because they're so busy. Uh, they've got all these new pets coming in. They've got shortages of vets. We know that, and there's shortage of staff because some of the team members have had to stay home with their kids doing remote learning. So they're under a lot of a lot of stress. And right. The idea of learning one more thing is just a learning curve. They don't think they have to have to go to. But what they really don't appreciate is the fact that not only will the pet owners appreciate this, especially the those that have to drive long distances, but they're going to free up exam rooms. And it's another way of interacting with their pet clients that can be a win-win for both. So th- that's it, in the it's future. It's so
0: important, though, to learn the interpersonal skills because sometimes we are perceived you know, differently than we mean to. And I loved when you said you just have to sort of be curious um, mm-hmm. instead of um, reactive or defensive because really sometimes somebody just hears you incorrectly. And how do you fix that?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's the same old thing. I think you've said, and everybody has said in communication, you got to listen and find out. Yeah, where active the Active listening. Um, yep. Listening. But um I, I was telling you about Julie Galif, who did a t- TED talk a few years ago, and she talks about the, the warrior, the soldier, right. and the scout, and says, you know, in any any defense issue, uh, the, you got both. You got the fighter and they got the learner, and you got to have the scout out there to try to find out what's going on. Uh, is there a bridge over there? Or, you know, what's the terrain like? So she says that's a mindset that we all need to come to any conflict with the scout mindset. So yeah. curious, you mentioned, you gotta be curious. You gotta wanna learn. You've got to have a, a feeling for it. It's an emotional thing. It's, it's instead of the emotion of winning uh, and defensive, but it's the emotion of, of curiosity, learning. You gotta, you gotta itch for solving a puzzle. And so um, with all the discussion, especially this year about diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's more and more important to think about not only listening to our, the differences of our teammates around a procedure, for example, or um, service hours, but the diversity of, of the people within our team. Where do they come from? What makes them tick? Um, every every um, age cohort has a different defining moment. And so that makes people want to behave differently. They they have different attitudes toward telehealth or any kind of social media. They have different attitudes toward uh, workplace, um, whether you work virtually or you work and you work long hours or you work one job and then go to another. You know, we, we it's listening to people and kind of finding out where they're coming from. Um, what makes what makes people tick? It's. You know, when you when you talk about things like this, it reminds
0: me that when I speak to the veterinarians in the con- in the conference realm, and they ask me questions, well, what do I do with this client and what do I do with that client? And they said this to me and they said that to me, and I go, ask them curious questions. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, um, and if remember. in fact remember. My- I I was going to say, if if you could cover your mouth, that would be really great. However, most people won't do that. The better course is, you know, Carolyn, you gave me a lot of information to think about. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to get back to you in a day or two, because I want to really think about that information. Would that be okay? And I can tell you in 90% of the discussions, that is okay because the other party feels heard, respected and understood because you reflected back to them what they said to you. This is what I heard. This is what I heard you say. And I really appreciate that you had the courage to really tell me about that. And it's interesting in one of the conferences that I had in Australia, one of the parties, one of the participants said, you know, courage is a very loaded word. And I said, tell me more curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me more. And they said, well, sometimes people think courage is being a bully or is is being pushy or is, is labeling you as someone who's a fighter. And I said, I am so grateful you told me that. I'm going to think a little bit about that. And I would like to get your email so we could talk about this more. And two days later, we both had a conversation about courage. And it was just the manner in which that person in that perspective in society viewed the word courage. So when we're using language that we don't think is offensive at all, and you know this, Carolyn, because this is what you do for a living, you don't think that word's going to offend anyone. Especially now with diversity and inclusion and equality, um, you really have to take a step back and appreciate that even though you didn't mean it that way, that's how it landed. And so as a veterinarian, as a staff member, as a pet owner, who's saying things that are sort of frustration driven uh, with curbside practice, understanding that what you're saying is landing in a way you don't intend it. You might not be able to um, understand the gravity of what you've done right then and there. But wouldn't it be great if we could all just take a breath, take a beat? Yep. Be curious. curious. Yep. Be curious. And... And, and come back at it in a little while. So what the takeaway was for the veterinarians in Australia was, you mean we don't have to answer the question right away? And I said, no, you don't. I yeah. said, if you appreciate and acknowledge what somebody said, it does not mean you agree. Nothing, it, nothing has anything to do with agreement if you appreciate and acknowledge. However, it does Give you time to think about what they said, calm down so you're not defensive and reactive, as you said, and really let those endorphins um, Mm -hmm. go away that are driving your um, defensive response. And maybe ramp up those oxytocins so that you're a little kinder when you come back to have that conversation.
1: Well, you know, and you said words make a difference. Um, This came home to me when I had a recent conversation with a lesbian friend of mine who works in a veterinary clinic. And um, we were talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion and what that means to her in her veterinary clinic. And she said, one of the things that the conversation around her diversity and other people's diversity in the clinic has uh, meant is that they've begun to realize that words matter. And so they've made a, a concerted effort not to refer to the second person coming in with their client as their spouse or their husband or wife because they don't they don't know so make that assumption they've also redone all their forms so they no longer ask for uh gender uh or they leave it blank or they give people lots of options uh they all wear name tags that put their preferred pronoun on their name tag which is their way of saying you know you use whatever pronouns for you and that the words matter and they're they're making a real inclusive, an, an effort to be inclusive by being careful what they say. Right. Uh, the examples she was giving were all around uh, gender equity, which was, I thought, you know, a wide open uh, opening for all of us to realize there's a lot to learn.
0: And there is so much to learn and having the patience to allow people to learn is also, I do a, um, a program about disability and, and we do accommodate the accommodators because it, it's teaching people who are providing the accommodation for you, say for an emotional support animal or a service animal, um, enabling them to understand the differences and not getting mad at them because they don't know, but rather helping them. And some people are really tired educating white people on their privilege and I get it. Uh, and we as white people have to strive to be better at acknowledging when we might have used a word that was incorrect or that was offensive and take ownership of it. It's, it's um, a learning process, as you said, if we are open to learning, then we're open to thriving, I think.
1: Yeah. She said that uh, her clinic now has a diversity training for any new employee, but they also run it periodically for all the team. And they get to talking about um, microaggression, things Mm -hmm. that, People say that they never thought were offensive or what they're calling now bystander training. So that she had one, somebody in their clinic said something about uh, referring to somebody's comment that he said, Oh, that's so gay. Well, yeah. now the bystander training, somebody else said, uh, uh-uh, that's not an appropriate comment. So Nixon. It. So it, it's a learning process, but words matter and training helps. Um, Let me say a little bit about training um, in the pandemic world because that's an issue of of what's happening in the pandemic world. How's it changed? Uh, Not only have many of the conferences gone virtual, but a lot of um, smaller events have gone into webinar. And one some some really creative things. One uh, provider I talked to said, "Well, our our training was mostly done through the local." Pet Red Association through lunches, and he said, "Now we have to find hotels that have the appropriate internet connection so we can do them virtually at our lunches." And we, right. said, we do want to do lunches. Well, but that was interesting. He said, "You know, they had to search search around some of the hotels or restaurants where they had been holding their training couldn't accommodate the new technology, but now they they have." And another one I talked to had gotten into some really sophisticated uh, technology that enables people to go to the expo room. You know, when you go to a conference, right? yep. people like to wander around the expo. Well, this expo room is 3D, and you actually get into the into the cubicle where the expo is. and Marvelous technology. So I don't know how much of this is going to carry on post-pandemic, but I think we've learned a lot. I have to tell you, I love
0: expo centers that are virtual because then I can visit with the people. And it's not like, uh, you know, I have to wait online and I usually then lose my patience and move on. So this way, if they're in the virtual room, you, you know, wait and you get to talk to them or it it just is. I think it's really wonderful. It's one on one.
1: Well, they like it, too, because you're not snitching their candy and running off. (laughs) That's right. And they're where they're squishy things, right? They're squishy things. They've got your name and their your, your email so they can keep up with you. Yeah. Yeah, there's some interesting things we've learned during the pandemic. And yeah.
0: We, well, I think we've all we've all um, and I mean this in the kindest way with the right kind of language, we've all survived. Um, we've, some of us have lost many of our good friends and um, some family. So that's a toll that we've all had to take. But in the realm of why do pets matter? They have really created a, an environment that has helped us thrive through the oxytocin they make us release when we pet them, um, through the exercise they give us uh, for taking walks and just for the companionship. You know, if you're living alone and you have a pet,
1: um, you're never alone. Yeah, you're never alone. Though well, we know pets matter. Yep. This has come home to us in a new way. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. The pandemic has done that. Carolyn, I can't wait to have you back again in a few weeks because we have such a great conversation. To all of you who are here listening to Why Do Pets Matter, thank you so much for coming again. And until next time, this is Deborah Vavoda-Hamilton, Hamilton Hamilton Law Mediation, the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. And of course, the MAP community, join us on Wednesdays. Until until later. Bye, Carolyn. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcasts. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.